um, how it's made, where they kind of take you behind the scenes on common everyday items and, and how they're made. Uh, I remember in 2003, uh, Cammie and I went to visit my brother in Boston. He and his wife were living there. He was going to school. And it's an easy year to remember because in 2004, uh, the Boston Red Sox won the World Series, the first time since 1918. So it was a 86-year drought uh, that they kind of overcame. And my brother actually happened to be there uh, during all of that. And they lived really only a half a block um, around the corner from Fenway Park. So it's a pretty phenomenal time to be there. But we actually came the year before. So in 2003, we flew out to Montreal. And... Uh, uh, they came and picked us up, and on our way down to Boston, uh, we went right through Waterbury, Vermont. And in uh, Waterbury is the factory for Ben & Jerry's ice cream, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And uh, so we went there to get some ice cream, and we saw that they do tours. And uh, so we lined up, and we were able to go behind the scenes in the Ben & Jerry's factory to hear about um, their dairy cows and their processes and how they actually make the ice cream. We got to see the ice cream uh, factory where they make it all. Uh, afterwards, you got to go into the quality control room where they do all their testing and very strict uh, protocols for what they do. And then obviously we got to enjoy some fabulous ice cream after it. Uh, but uh, there's those opportunities um, as well where we get to go behind the scenes in uh, when it comes to people. And one of the ones that comes to mind is um, ESPN, uh, 30 for 30. It's these documentaries that really take you behind the scenes on these incredible athletes in the world of sports. And in, in so many ways, these storytellers help paint a picture of how they came to be who they are and why they do what they do. And it is really fascinating. And I remember in January, uh, HBO just came out with a documentary, two-part series on Tiger Woods. And uh, I, I mean, most of us, we've seen the incredible things that he's done in the world of golf um, over his, um, his career. And you always wonder, why does he do what he does? What, like, what makes him tick? What motivates him? And so then after watching this documentary, you get a glimpse of really what was happening behind the scenes and finding out what was really going on, you know, what was going on off the course, even as in his growing up, just as he was around his dad and his dad's best friend who were living lives of infidelity and how that formed him and the pressures uh, to play golf and to perform and the control around his relationships and his friends. And because sometimes we're just kind of, we just get caught watching the scene. But in this documentary, we got to go behind the curtain a little bit and see what he went through and how that shaped him for better and for worse and how it led him to be who he is doing what he does today. And a little bit more recent one, maybe last weekend you watched uh, the Oprah interview with uh, Prince Harry and Meghan. And, you know, over the years, we've kind of seen from outside all the decisions that they made and what was going on. And we kind of had those pictures of it. And then in this interview, they kind of pull back the curtain. And for the first time, you kind of see, wow, what was really going on, you start to connect the dots a little bit and you see why maybe they made some of the decisions that they made and what led them to do some of the things that they've done. And so it's always interesting to me when you get that opportunity to see behind the curtain just a little bit. And today we get a peek behind the curtain into Paul's life 
in this passage that we're going to look at today. And Paul is the author of this book that we've been journeying through called Romans. And Paul is going to reveal to us today uh, what he, why he does what he does and what it is that motivates him. And so in order to get a, a sense out of chapter 15, where we're going to be picking up in our study today, we need to go back and remember that Paul used to be called Saul. And he was down in Jerusalem, and he was there for the, the stoning of Stephen, who was a follower of Jesus. And he was there approving that execution. And right after that, Saul goes on to ravage the church. He begins to imprison people and beat people, uh, all of these Christians, persecuting them. And he wants to take this even further. So he actually goes to the courts uh, to get permission to go and travel outside of Jerusalem uh, to persecute and kill other Christians. And so he heard about this church that was starting up in Damascus, and he was, gonna, he was going up there uh, to start persecuting them. And on his way to Damascus, he meets Jesus on the road, and Jesus radically changes his life forever, radically alters it forever. And ironically, Paul actually ends up getting discipled in that small little church that he was on his way to go to, to persecute. And for a while there, he's staying there and growing. And God eventually calls Paul uh, to go into the world with the mission of leading as many as possible to passionately follow Jesus. Sound familiar? That's our mission here at Southview. And I think we got it from this story. Um, so he ends up going out on what's called really his first missionary journey. And he's going from city to city. He's beginning to see many people come to Jesus. But with that, there also comes a whole lot of other things because a lot of people didn't want to hear what Paul was talking about when it came to Jesus. So he actually gets, ends up getting stoned. Now I need to clarify what that means because in the Bible, getting stoned means they're throwing rocks at you to kill you. And so that's what happened. And so he got stoned by all these rocks and it's a really crazy story because he, it looks like he's dead laying on the ground. And then all of a sudden, the scripture says he got up and he left, like kind of miraculously. And so through all that, he ends up getting back home. And then he ends up going on a second kind of missionary journey, taking another trip through all these cities that he's already been kind of visited. And he ends up um, going into getting into prison in uh, Philippi because he uh, saved this slave girl from some demons. And the, the owners of this slave girl, they did not like it because they were no longer going to make money through her anymore. So they haul Paul off to the officials to where they um, um, beat him and throw him in prison. And then he miraculously gets out of prison from that earthquake, if you remember the story. And on his way out, he actually leads the jailer and his ho whole household uh, to faith in Christ. And he eventually then ends up in Corinth where Paul shares the story of Jesus with this very broken culture. Through that time, he finally then gets back home. And then eventually he goes out a third time through all of these cities that he had been visiting once again. And he ends up back in Corinth again. And that's where he writes this book called Romans or this letter called Romans. Because Paul wants this word what's happening about this Jesus to go to the heart of the Roman empire and beyond. He wants everyone to get this story. And really that's just an overview of like basically 25 chapters 
in the book of Acts. And that covers a little over 20 years of Paul's life. And we get to sit here today and ask, Paul, what makes you tick? I mean, Paul, you got beaten, stoned, whipped, imprisoned, and we get to go behind the scenes today and and go, what is it, Paul? What drives you? And he waits until chapter 15 in this book called Romans. And he says, let me tell you why I do what I do in hopes that it will change why you do what you do. So when it comes to the church, we know that we aren't always going to get along. You know, we have our own past, our own baggage, our own family of origin issues, our own way of understanding who God is or what the Bible says about certain doctrines. And over the last weeks, we've been kind of journeying through Romans chapter 14, and we looked at what are we going to do when we hit areas where we don't get along, where we actually disagree. And Paul was in that chapter kind of focusing in on some issues that were creating ethnic division in the church. There was some food laws and some Sabbath laws. And Paul was saying these practices actually don't define who's in and who's out in Jesus's family. And if people differ over these culturally important but non-essential issues, and we don't have any of those, do we today? (laughs) But if people differ over these culturally important but non-essential issues, they need to learn how to respect each other's differences. And it's in this way that love will heal and unify Jesus's family. So that leads us now to this passage in chapter 15 that we come to these words that Paul penned some 2,000 years ago, and he pulls back the curtain a little bit for us to see why he did what he did for all of those years. And so this is Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 8 to 13. And friends, this is the word of God. Verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And so in this passage, Paul is showing us in a very powerful way And this is really my main point uh, for what we're talking about today. So if you don't remember anything else, at least remember this, that God's glory is not just intended to be known by you. It's intended to be known by all people. And when I talk about God's glory, I'm referring to that that magnificence, that, that worth or that loveliness and grandeur of his many perfections, which he displays in his creative and redemptive acts in this world in order really to make his glory known to those who are in his presence. And so God's glory, what I just explained there, is not 
just intended to be known by you. It's intended to be known by all people. Now, why does this matter? Well, if you don't get this, you will miss out on the purpose for which you were created. You're going to have the worst FOMO of your entire life for the rest of your life. That feeling that you're missing out on something fundamentally important, something that you were made for, it will eat you up. And so Paul does what he does best. He points us to Jesus. Jesus is our example. He reveals the purpose for which we were created. So Paul is going to show us from the Old Testament scriptures, which is all that they had at this time, uh, that both the Jew and the Gentiles are included in God's purpose of redemption. And so he shows us this first by declaring in verse 8, that Jesus came as a servant to the Jews. What for? In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So the promise in which Jesus' coming has fulfilled was the promise that was given to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, that said, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so the first promise that came to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, was that God was going to bless all of the nations through him. So in other words, God's purpose has always included both Jews and Gentiles. That's why Paul would say in Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 8, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So the result of the fulfillment of God's promise to the patriarchs is what? What's the result of the fulfillment of God's promise? Well, here in verse 9, we read, It was in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So Paul is revealing to these Roman Christians that they are part of something big. Jesus came so that God would accept both Jew and Gentile. That's why Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, that Jesus came to unite the Jew and the Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So Jew and Gentile, strong and weak, rich and poor, they must reflect this in their relationship in the church. In fact, God's purpose has always been to have people made up of all nations, Jew and Gentile. And that is why Paul concludes by stringing together a series of Old Testament quotations that clearly demonstrate that God's saving purpose has always included the Jews and the Gentiles. First in verse 9, God's name is to be praised among the Gentiles by his people, cross-reference Psalm chapter 18. And then verse 10, the Gentiles are to be invited into praise with his people, Deuteronomy chapter 32. So that, verse 11, all the peoples, Jew and Gentile, will praise the Lord. And all of this will be accomplished how? Verse 12, by the root of Jesse, the great ruler to come from the line of David, Jesse's son, as the nations come under his rule, 
and find hope in him. So Paul intentionally uses verses from all three of the major divisions of the Hebrew Bible, the law, the prophets, and the writings, to show that the inclusion of the Gentiles with the Jews in the praise of God has always been a part of God's purposes. Because gospel unity across every divide, across every disagreement, is what God has always been working toward. And so as the Roman Christians, Jew and Gentile, weak and strong, rich and poor, and so on, they meet together to praise the root of Jesse, who is Jesus. They're expressing their spirit of unity among themselves as they follow Jesus. That's why Paul would say in Romans 15, verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. And as they do that, they begin to embody God's plan in verse 6, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So do you see what's going on here? We were created by one bigger than us, for a story much larger than our own. That's why Paul says, I was the guy who hated Jesus. I was out killing and persecuting Christians until I met Jesus. And I did not get what I deserved. Instead, I received grace and mercy. I was the last of the last who was deserving of this gift. But because of what I got, he says, this is why I do what I do. So that the Gentiles, those that aren't Jews, those that haven't heard the story, so that the rest of the world will come to know this Jesus. He said, that is why I do what I do. Because God's glory is not just intended to be known by you. It's intended to be known by all people. And really, our role in this story is not about sitting and receiving it's not about learning and being good. It's not about getting. It's about going. It's about playing our role in God's story as a member of his family, as part of his body, and as an ambassador. Because the story of God began with a creator who created a good world to reveal how good he truly was. But we broke it. Humans broke it which is why we find ourselves in a world of confusion and disappointment and pain and hurt. But God, both the author and the protagonist of this story, refused to leave that story. He made a promise that redemption was already in the works. He chose a family and promised that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. He then chose a people through which to reveal his character, his faithfulness, and his goodness. Now, no matter what people did, God kept his promises. And no matter how bad things got, God continued to complete his purposes. And through broken people in impossible circumstances, God continued to write his story. And that's really summarizing the Old Testament. And then there was this period of silence. And after many years, God showed up in an unexpected and a miraculous way. The creator sent his son to his creation, wrapped in the skin of his creation. 
subjected to the care of his own creation for the purpose of fixing his creation and winning back the relationship with his most prized creation, humankind. Now, everyone thought that Jesus would overthrow the oppressive government of the Roman Empire and establish the kingdom that he kept talking about. But their hopes and their dreams were crushed as they watched the one they had believed in hang on the cross, gasping for breath. But little did they know that he was actually crushing the head of the enemy once and for all. God's greatest plot twist was still yet to come because three days later, Jesus would walk out of the grave, conquering both sin and death forever. And in one great moment, he reversed the irreversible. He fixed what was broken between God and humanity. He provided a way of redemption and gave life, hope, and power to people. Now, the story could have ended there, and it would have been the greatest story ever told. You know, uh, a passionate God on a relentless pursuit of his people. But it didn't end quite yet. Because there were still adventures to be written and stories to be told. And that's where we find ourselves, his family, his body his ambassadors to the world and communities in which we live. The Bible begins with God and it ends with God. And we find ourselves somewhere in the middle because when we know the author, we understand how it began and more importantly, who it began with. It puts our lives into perspective. We realize that we were created by someone bigger than us for a story much larger than our own. And God calls each one of us to play a part in fulfilling God's ultimate purpose in this world, that his name would be honored and praised among all peoples. So we're participants in the bigger story, in God's plan to re bring redemption to all people. So I want to bring it a little closer home to us uh, make it a little bit more personal wherever you are uh, watching this. But what would happen if we were to go behind the scenes in your life? You know, what if we were to get a whole documentary crew and they were to come to your place and interview your friends and your family and go through your stuff and follow you around and just video you all the time? You know, starting to get a little nervous, right? A little hot under the collar as you're starting to think about, ooh, what would that be like? Um, but what would we see that you're living for if that were to happen? If we were to kind of pull back the curtain on your life, would we, we, see, would we see you reflecting God's personality and purposes in how you live? Would we see you living as a son or a daughter of the living God? Where would we see you investing I mean, do you just go to church or are you living as the church? Would we see you inviting others in to be a part of the adventure of God with you? Who would we see you praying for and inviting into your life? I mean, where would we see you serving? Um, would we see you using your gifts and your talents and your skills to show who Jesus is in the world around you? Would we see you using your passions in a way that establishes the kingdom of God all around you? Would 
We see you in your local church uh, participating, whether it's in guest services or leading a small group or serving in children's ministry or helping youth come to own faith for themselves, serving on a care team, uh, going out into the world on a missions trip. Where would we see you investing your gifts, whether it's in your neighborhood or your business? What story would we see you living? What story would we see you telling? Is it the story you were created for? Or would it, we see a lesser substitute or a safer alternative to the adventure God has created you and called you to do? Now, I think those are some really powerful reflection questions for us to wrestle through over the coming months as we kind of process all of this. But you may be wondering, like, well, what do I do this week? Like, what am I supposed to do? Just give me a couple of things to do because I'm kind of treading water here. You know, like my spouse started a new business. Like I got 20 Zoom calls that I have to put together. My kids are starting sports practice again. We're doing online hub. I got to go get groceries. I got to remember to bring my mask to the grocery store so I can actually get groceries. I mean, I'm kind of overwhelmed. So just what's some practical things that I can do this week to kind of, grow in my participatory side of this whole big God story that we've been kind of talking about today. So I'm going to give you two things, really simple things, real practical things. So first is I want to challenge you to just simply spend five minutes each day this week for the next seven days, five minutes each day, praying for those in our world who do not yet know Jesus. And to help you with that, um, just simply download the Joshua Project app um, on your phone or your tablet. And it's called the Unreached of the Day. It's really a simple tool to, to learn about people and to pray for them. And I've been using it actually since January, and it's really been helpful to kind of settle my heart into seeing the larger story and what God longs to do in this world. And you can find that on our weekly viewpoint uh, uh, right through our website or through your Realm uh, weekly viewpoint. So the, Pro the Joshua Project app, the unreached people. So five minutes a day, just this week, praying for people who do not yet know Jesus. And the second thing, um, I want you to kind of read through um, Paul's missionary journey in this story of Acts. And you're like, well, how am I supposed to do that? Well, I'll help you out. I've provided a very simple guideline on our website to help you follow Paul's journey, um, to, to help you see behind the scenes a little bit more as to who Paul was and why he did what he did. It's also in our weekly viewpoint, but it's also under the sermon section by our Digging Deeper questions if you want to have access to that. A really simple form to help you walk through Paul's journey to open up that curtain a little bit more to see why he did what he did. Now, why does this matter? Why should we be growing in our understanding of the gospel, this great story of what God is doing and bringing redemption to the world? Well, as I said before, if you don't get this, if you don't lean into living as Jesus lived, regardless if you know Jesus or not, you're going to miss out on the purpose for which you were created. You will always be searching or grabbing or consuming or wondering, it'll be like you have atrial fibrillation. Now, trust me, I had to look that word up as well. It's a, it's a form of arrhythmia. Basically, it means that your heart is out of rhythm. So if we don't lean into living as Jesus lived, it will be like we were living with our heart is out of rhythm. And to some degree, 
Southview and churches in our city, and especially in North America, it feels like we're developing a form of arrhythmia. We're losing our ability to see the nations, to see how God is flexing his might and spreading his glory all around us. What do we see instead? Grabbing and searching and living for ourselves. And like you, I'm definitely not immune to focusing solely on myself, especially during this pandemic. And so, Father, we, to some degree, we need a cardio version, a heavenly cardio version for our arrhythmia. Basically what that is, it's a, it's a way to shock the heart back into rhythm again. And we need our hearts shocked back into rhythm with the heart of Jesus for this world. I mean, I was chatting with my uh, brother a couple months ago who's involved in international missions. And he says there's this beautiful trend um, of the global church really worshiping together. And the lockdown has really provided this impetus for gathering and worshiping together like never before. And maybe you back in a while back, you saw the UK blessing and our church was actually a part of something that we did in Alberta. Well, there was one done that was uh, done by Arts Release. And uh, we'll post it this week on our Instagram uh, account here at Southview for you to see it. But it's, it's 37 people from uh, all around the world worshiping God in over 10 different languages. It's, it's really powerful. And so hopefully you can check that out. But even beyond that, God is moving all around the world, flexing his might, making his glory known. And even in the Chinese church, God is moving. Over the next uh, 10 years, and by the year 2030, the Chinese church has a mission to send out 20,000 missionaries into the world by the year 2030. It's a fabulous vision of what God is doing all around our world. He's also moving uh, the church, uh, the mainland China house churches. Um, In an article called Mainland China House Churches, writer David Rowe says, There seems to be something beyond what meets the eye, a spiritual movement among a persecuted people on a mission with the gospel of grace and ready to take the way of the cross. The house church in China is on a global mission with a desire to reach a suffering world with the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ. So if we begin to understand who God is and his purposes in this world, if we begin to develop a heart that cares for others because they're created in the image of God, not because they look like us or what they have what we have, but because they have the stamp of divine creation on them. When we capture God's heart and vision for this world, we'll be motivated to do whatever it takes to drop every barrier so that everyone, every tribe and language and people and nation can hear and respond to the gospel. Because that's what the gospel does. The kingdom of God breaking in. It changes. It breaks down the walls of hostility. And we can be united in the work of Christ. Even so, we're seeing a movement in the Chinese church that they're actually starting to reach out to the Tibetans. Which if you know the historical animosity between those two countries, it's it's radical. Because that's what the gospel does. As we begin to embody that gospel, we too, as a church, must abandon our prejudices. We must abandon any discriminatory actions based on external differences by seeing all people for those for whom Christ has died. 
So when it comes to sharing the story of God with others, no matter what another person's background, ethnicity, or language, we must begin with the end in mind. The glorious vision of Jesus surrounded by a colorful display of humanity that's been redeemed by his blood. That is why Paul would say in Romans chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So friends, how, how do you intend to make disciple-making a priority in your life? I mean, how would that affect us as a community? How would that affect others, our neighborhood, our city, and our world? Because God clearly desires his name to be praised among all the nations of the earth, which is why we must look at our lives, our church, and we cannot see the mission, you know, the gospel or the spread of the gospel to the nations, the glory of God among the nations, like a compartmentalized program in the church over here, really only for a select few amount of people who are called to that. No, this is a purpose of God for all believers to make his glory known to all peoples. Now, obviously, that plays out differently in each one of our lives. Now, not every one of us is going to move to another country, to another um, culture, to another group of people, to learn another language, to share the gospel um, in making the glory known in those places. But we all have a part to play in seeing that happen through our prayer, through our giving, through our being salt and light, all of us, wherever God has uniquely positioned you to be. We must be willing to put our lives on the table, our families on the table and say, God, use us however you want for the spread of your glory among the nations. And so I think Paul summarizes everything that we've been talking about today so beautifully when he says this in Romans chapter 15, verse 7. And this is from the message because I just love how it summarizes everything. He says, reach out and welcome one another into God's glory. Jesus did it. Now you do it. Isn't that great? So Southview, Reach out and welcome one another into God's glory. Jesus did it. Now you do it. And what a great picture of how Jesus reached out to us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His body was broken. His blood was poured out for you and for me. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, regardless of age, race, color, gender, will be saved and will be given the right to be called a child of God. And so I invite you to grab your bread and your juice. Now I acknowledge that this is not the best way for us to do this, but we're thankful that we get to do this even in this setting. And in this meal, we are remembering and proclaiming the death of Jesus 
And through the work of Christ's spirit, we are being spiritually fed by Jesus in this bread and this cup. And so, Father, we pray even now that you would feed us in this meal. So I invite you to take uh, your bread and hear these words. The body of Christ was broken for you. Receive from him. And then take the cup. The blood of Christ was poured out for you. Receive from him. Let's pray. Jesus, one day, it'll be clear that you alone are worthy of our fear and reverence and honor and glory. And so lead us even today to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you. Knowing that your name is great and that you are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of all of our adoration and all of our affection and all of our devotion. You're really worthy of everything that we have. And so Jesus, be glorified and cause your name to be glorified among the nations through our lives. We pray that you would help us to live in such a way that we reflect your character and display your glory to the world around us. And we pray Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, that says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, your name will be great among the nations. So we look forward to the day when every nation, every tribe, every tongue will bow at your feet and proclaim the greatness of your name. We look forward to the day when, as Isaiah declared, we no longer will live, will need the sun to shine by day, nor the moon to give light by night. For the Lord our God will be our everlasting light, and our God will be our glory. Oh, so Father, cause your glory to cover every square inch of your creation. Jesus, you are our example for how we are to spend our lives. So lead us today towards that end. Help us to see that we were created by one bigger than us for a story much larger than our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're so glad that you were able to join us today. And if you've made some sort of a spiritual decision or you would like to talk with someone, feel free to fill out the online connection card. We'd love to help you in that next step of your faith journey. And I know that during this season, joy and peace and hope feels depleted. But thankfully, the Holy Spirit can inject hope in us again. And we can know that he is indeed at work in this world all around us. And so as you head into this week, I wanna bless you with this prayer that Paul prayed over the Roman church. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So by the power of the Spirit, you may abound in hope. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.